Welcome to the Succeed with Content Strategy podcast, the show that shares knowledge and insights into applying content strategy principles to your marketing and professional efforts. I'm your host, Rebecca Stewart, content strategist, content strategy coach, and co-founder of Content Academy. In this podcast, I share the latest trends and get the inside scoop from business owners, marketers, and content strategy professionals on how their content is propelling them forward. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and let's start learning how we can succeed with content strategy. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Succeed with Content Strategy podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Stewart. Today's episode is about being a content strategist in an agency, and it's also what agencies need to know about content strategists. My special guest is Jim Jacoby, founder of Manifest Digital, the first agency that I worked at. He also helped me get into teaching with the ADMCI, School of Digital Craftsmanship, and now he has gone on to other ventures where he has a studio for digital craftsmanship. He's working on some underground restaurants, underground concerts, and just an amazing guy. I was so honored to be able to interview Jim because he has such insight into the agency world as an owner and even as a content person himself. And from all the agencies that I've worked with, I had wonderful experiences for different reasons, but Manifest will always hold something dear to me because that's where I worked with seven other content strategists. It was the only agency that I worked at that had a huge content strategy team who all worked together, who all shared ideas. When you are a content strategist and you go into agency, sometimes you're the only one in there. So I wanted to bring on Jim to talk about his experience with content strategy, how it helps him with his businesses and what he talks to his clients about from a content strategy perspective. So if you have any questions about working at an agency as a content strategist, please reach out to me. You can contact me at Rebecca at contentacademy.com. You can join the cohort. Uh, We'll talk about that. Enjoy the show and let us know if you have any questions. Okay, so I'm going to get a little sappy as I introduce today's very special guest. So throughout my life, I've just been so fortunate being connected with some amazing people to help me grow both personally and professionally. And one of those people is Jim Jacoby. And because of Jim, Succeed with Content Strategy is even here. At Manifest, Jim decided to start ADMCI, American Design of Mastercraft Initiative, a school to help teach people user experience and really bringing up more more people, more people into this career. And so I approached him and asked if I could teach content strategy. And he gave me that opportunity. And if it wasn't for Jim, I wouldn't be here today. And I wanted to have him on this episode to talk about how he was one of the first visionaries to see the importance of content. Welcome, Jim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here. You're too kind. Thank you. I'd love to start out, if you could tell the audience a little bit about you, how you got started and where you are today. Sure. I started, uh, I'm an English major, so I'm a writer by trade. Uh, it's kind of my first love and always will be the struggling English major writing the American novel um, in the back of my mind. But that, in order to make money, turned into 
figuring out a way into consulting, which turned into project management, which turned into the early days of computer-based training, which then turned into agency and creative design flavored stuff inside a consultancy. And then that turned into spinning out and starting our own company, which um, really was based on this insight that in the earliest days, there was this emerging thing called user-centered design, which seems, I continue to marvel at how silly that is because it's just common sense, but still even today remains (laughs) an advantage, strategic advantage. And so user-centered design really was the foundation of what became Manifest Digital and growing from three people to 150 people. And content, as is apropos today, was really the backbone of how you would get any, any project I, I always called it breathing, but that's uh, that's sort of a fast forward through the career and getting to to the manifest point. And then, as you've mentioned in the setup, kind of spinning out and starting ADMCI. ADMCI is a house for a variety of things, including the school at one point uh, that has evolved into a design studio, kind of getting back to my roots there. But it's a variety of commissions, including a motorcycle commission, a restaurant initiative, a uh, music initiative, and the studio again, as I mentioned. So it's it's a fun way of kind of blending all the parts of your brain to, uh, as you mentioned, kind of figuring out ways to uplift the profession and get more people into it and performing higher and feeling better about it. Right. You had mentioned with Manifest, you started with three people and then to 150, 150 people. When I was at Manifest, we had, I think, probably eight content strategists. Yeah. And, you know, that's unheard of. Big. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, eight eight content strategists and probably thirty plus, uh, you know, people that you would call UX, and then a, a further distribution from there. Which, you know, as that company has evolved, it's I think there might be two UX people there today, and mm-hmm. I don't know of any content folks, so it's right. changed completely. But I think there's a model out there yet to be fulfilled, and that's something that we're working with the studio here and um, would like to help other agencies figure out. And and I think maybe to your point, help others who are entering the field figure out how to advocate for as well, which is, is sometimes difficult. So why do you think agencies have such a hard time with content strategy? Do they just not get what it is or do they not know how to talk about it? This is just going to be my bias, but I think it is a, it's a little bit of hubris. I think People think, oh, yeah, and then we'll put the words in, we'll write the stuff, we'll move it or whatever. I mean, for me, content strategy started as an incredibly complicated content migration process for Mm -hmm. big intranets and inventorying all the content and then figuring what should move and how it's going to move. And then once it moves, who owns it and how it'll be maintained. That's hard, really, really hard. And then that turned into more of a, well, what should the content be and what is our market strategy and positioning for the content and so forth. But I think the core of of your question is that people don't give it the appropriate weight early on and then get crushed or panicked when they realize what they've done. We had a really big, I think we worked on it together, actually. We had a really big project for a client that was complaining their systems weren't working right and the technology wasn't implemented properly and so on. And I kept going back to this metaphor of we've built the balloon for you. You, You've got to put content in it. Otherwise you got to blow the balloon up or it's not a balloon. And then you, you know, inside organizations, you have this sort of hot potato of, <laughs> well, I, you know, I didn't do it, but I thought so-and-so was going to do it. Not so-and-so didn't, didn't do it. And it. It's really hard for agencies to manage. It's it's uh, speaking truth to power at the end of the day, which is, and I don't want to ramble, but it, it became a thing for me where in getting to know somebody, if there was going to be a significant content portion to a project, I would give the speech of, this is all going to be fun and we're, we're going to be in the kind of honeymoon period for, for a while here. But once we get to the, where the rubber meets the road and you've got to be doing 
your stuff, you know, with our content people, it's going to get ugly and painful and you're going to call me and yell at me. And every single project would go follow that arc. So eventually I just wanted to call that shot. Right. And that's, it's definitely an elephant in the room. No one really wants to talk about it. And the hot Mm -hmm. potato is so, so true because nobody feels they have time for it. And then they don't have the money to pay for the agency to help make it happen. No. No, and they don't respect the people internally who are doing it. So on the client side, it tends, you know, oftentimes it would end up with administrative assistants or, you know, people who aren't appropriately respected and and empowered, and they end up having to, you know, do the heavy lifting. Some of the best um, results we had when we had to staff to a difficulty was was hiring unemployed master's degree people who are sort of overeducated, but really good at understanding patterns and language and so forth. And, you know, even when we had large migration projects who would operate under people like yourself, those were some of the better ones um, that I recall. So anyway, yeah. um, it requires significant intelligence. Yeah. I always tell content strategists, if you want to become a great content strategist, migrate 10,000 pages of content in three months <laughs> because then you yeah. know exactly. And I think, you know, one of the projects we had, we had, you know, two interns working 10 hour days, adding mm-hmm. all this content in. And then I don't think the client, when agencies are working with this, they don't understand what it's like to be on the client side to say, oh, do I have time to approve this? Do I have time to uh, say, yeah, this can go live. And so mm-hmm. that's where I think they, we stop short of, not valuing the content strategy, thinking about that part before we design something. And I know one of my last agencies I worked with, I wasn't on the team, but they designed this beautiful new site of you're going to write blogs, you're going to do all this. And they said, well, can you teach us how to write blogs? (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I'm, I jumped up. It's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do, let's do it. And then they just, the agency just really didn't want anything to do with it. And I just thought, well, okay. Uh. And that's, you know, it's so funny you start off talking about you start out as a writer and, you know, the foundation, everything, the foundation starts with content and that's where agencies have a mess. Yeah, I'll misquote him, but a guy named Rashad Tabakawala said to me at one point that we're all just stories ourselves and the the intermixing of our stories is what gives life meaning. And that's that should be true of any product or experience we're creating as well. It's a story. And if you don't put the words in it, you're not going to breathe life into it and there's not going to be a story there. So that's, I hope is exciting and empowering and invigorating to people getting into the career because whether or not you're understood to be that you are, you are the life of what's going to get created. So for what you're doing right now, how has content affected your business? And as you evolve, how has that helped you every step of the way? It comes back to storytelling there also, you know, with things like craftsmanship, those are kind of high-minded ideals. And the only way to land that and make it relatable is to have effective storytelling. So everything from, you know, producing a super bike that is made of materials that have never been done before and received patents that were first application after a hundred years of engineering on that form and taking it all over the world and so on and so on. What's really interesting, I think, to Scott Miller, my partner, business partner and I, is that the motorcycle itself doesn't really matter. It's, it's a metaphor for what's possible and, and telling the story of what's possible in terms of making decisions. And every decision you make adds up to what you become. And in this case, a motorcycle was produced. But the same is the case for an underground restaurant or a studio for digital craftsmanship or, you know, a series of, of concerts that we're promoting and so on. So 
every time it's storytelling and it's a matter of understanding, you know, what, what your characters are, what your scene is and what the context for that story is and, 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 and doing it effectively. So, I mean, not to overstate it, but we sort of don't exist without good storytelling. Right. And I love how you talked about how content migration is where you started. That's where, (laughs) that's one part of content strategy. Now here's another part of content strategy of how are we going to share this information about this underground restaurant? Where are we going to post this? How often? What is that story going to be? Are you seeing a lot of content migration projects or are you more focused on the, okay, how, where are we going to post this on social media? That's a great question. We see the same, sadly, the same content issues roughly a decade later that we saw in the mid period when you and I were working more directly together. I think, you know, for a large uh, direct selling cosmetics and beauty company, content remained a bugaboo. We had a number of user experience people on the project. We had uh, visual designers, uh, obviously a bunch of coders, and we were replatforming the whole thing. But content was always just sort of waved off. And, you know, as much as you try to speak truth to this power, it's like, well, yeah, marketing handles content or, you know, whatever. And then marketing will come pinwheeling into the process and say, well, yeah, we want the headline to be three lines long and we need the, you know, we need it to be, oh, wait, it needs to be in Spanish also? Okay, well, that would have been good to know three months ago. And so it's still happening. And the, the best I can say, I think when we were at our best, we positioned the issue of content during the get to know you process. You know, and let's not even engage in this project if we're not going to be honest about it. That's something I'm still trying to live up to today. And I would say we did an adequate job in one of these more recent experiences, but we're still not, we're still not nailing it. There's something to the complexity of this issue that is overlooked. And I think coding gets a lot of fair play because it, it appears complex. Visual design gets moderate fair play because it sort of feels complex, but any anybody feels like they're a designer if they're over the shoulder of somebody who's in front of Photoshop. And then there's writing and content, which feels not complex because anybody feels like they could write. But all three of those disciplines are coding. You're coding code. You're coding visuals. There's layers and naming and all that stuff that's happening in Sketch and Photoshop and Zeppelin and wherever else. And you're coding and writing too because you're tagging and meta-tagging and cross-referencing and linking and, and organizing and content sharing and reusing. And all of that is, you know, if you're getting to the point of single sourcing chunks of content, that's coding. And so they're all equally complex and they all deserve equal play in my opinion. Exactly. And user experience architects need to understand what the content is in order to design something. And the tech guys need to understand permissions. They need to know what fields are needed. They need to know what image types, what type of content type definitions. So all of that is because a content strategist is there to serve all of those different disciplines. 100%. Laura Mipsum is sort of the, the devil in the in the whole mix because that stuff rides for far too long in the process. The experience we just had with this uh, large direct selling company, we got bit by that again because Laura Mipsum made it into the wireframes. It made it into the visual designs. It even made it into the code. And then once content started getting pumped in, it broke everything. That's another thing, you know, it's like manifest felt so perfect because even the visual designer that I worked with there, he was always pushing us to don't use alarm Ipsum. So I learned there's so much learning in that experience. Yeah. I think we're in some ways we're doomed to continue relearning, but there are good experiences. I always say content's a bitch and yeah. you have to just, you know, it is, and it's, you got to work at it and mm-hmm. it's not easy. It takes time. You have to be willing to pay for it. 
And I love yeah. the fact that you said everyone thinks they can write. I learned long ago, no matter how hard I try, I will never be a solid writer. I know what to say. I know how to tell people to say it. But that's where I, you know, it's like content strategists. And when I see job descriptions and I feel like this is where agencies have that problem too, is they say, we need right. you to be a content strategist. And the job description is, we want you to write for this. And I just don't think they get it. Well, there's not enough fidelity in that description. I mean, there's multiple layers of writers. Some some great creatives are really good, you know, what I would call headline level writers, which I can never do. Mm-hmm. And then there are kind of mid-level volume writers, which are, I would call it page content, directional, that kind of stuff, which is also very hard in a specialty. And then there's long form or story driven content, which can be blogs or whatever else, or, or understanding the arc of an experience. And that's a totally different skill. And that's only three, and there's probably more. So understanding what you're hiring for and what you're really trying to get out of that and asking of somebody is absolutely crucial in the interviewing process. So what kind of advice would you give content strategists who are going into the agency <laughs> world? How, how do they overcome this and, and how do they prepare for some craziness? <laughs> you know, it's a balance between sort of becoming chicken little where you're running around all the time saying, we got to think about this. Hey, nobody's paying attention. We got to think about this, you know, to being able to roll with it and say, you know, I get it. We didn't think about this enough, but here's a way to get through it. And I guess I would say if you're entering that world, I would expect it to not work right. And I would look for situations where can the organization learn as it's evolving. And if if mistakes are committed once or twice, but not three or four times, that's probably a good environment. And then you're participating in creating a better place. So what would you recommend? What kind of advice would you give agencies? Well, if I'm working in an agency, I would try to befriend the salespeople and Different agencies have different cultures. You know, can you get out on sales calls? Can you influence the pitch process? Um, can you influence the pricing and staffing models? Anywhere that you can get upstream is going to be crucial to improving your your life. And that could be anything from just taking a salesperson out to lunch to making your way further upstream. Beyond that, then I think your next level of influence is account management and project management, where if you can, again, be appropriately politicking for positioning and and issue avoidance, you can have a bigger, better influence on, on how these projects roll. And then further downstream, you've got the design leads and and experience leads and coding leads and get to know them too, because the more they see the issues that they could avoid, they don't want to go through these revision cycles any more than anybody else does. The more you can befriend those and be kind of positively educating along the way probably is is the best thing you could be doing to improve your life in an agency world. I think that's great advice. And that's where, because people don't know what they don't know. And if they don't know right. content strategy, then it's going to be your responsibility as a content strategist to explain it to them. That's well put. It's all on you. Don't expect that you're going to land in a position because you have that title. They know what to do with you. <laughs> they may have hired you out of fear or defensiveness or whoever, who knows what else. And so get a sense of why you're there and what's really going on and then start working proactively to, to make it even better. So tell me a little bit about what you are doing right now. What's your biggest project that you're working on today? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably the the studio for digital craftsmanship and user-centered design stuff is still the biggest kind of time commitment. But uh, as I mentioned early on, ADMCI is kind of a mothership for 
um, the studio for an underground dinner series for some underground uh, concerts that happen on a pretty regular basis and for commissions like the Bienville Legacy Motorcycle. So, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we're we're consulting and doing user-centered design at the Studio for Digital Craftsmanship. To be honest, our, our passion lives with some of these other things like the restaurant things and the concerts. One other thing that ADMCI does fairly regularly is I would call board level and executive level coaching and uh, C-suite staffing. So we have a stable of talent and my business partner and I are also actively consulting. So if there are agencies, for instance, uh, just apropos to this conversation that could use some help, um, we do lean in there and have staffed ourselves to helping some organizations transform how they operate and position themselves in the market and things like that. So that's, that's a lot. It's a cross section that gets, gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah. And who better to do that than you? So where can people find you? Um, the easiest way is admci.org. Admci.org will get you to everything else. But then the uh, one other piece is Studio 4, the number 4DC, studio4dc.com. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being in this interview today, for being you, for, <laughs> for the opportunities that you've given so many people. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, likewise, thank you so much. It's so fun to catch up and it goes too fast. So let's do it again. Hey, everyone. I want to give a quick shout out and say thank you for listening to the podcast. Now that we have a few under our belt, I want to reach out to you and ask you what you're enjoying about this podcast, how it's helping you, and also what type of topics you'd love to hear. So please reach out to us. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and our handle is at Succeed with Content Strategy. You can write a comment on our website, succeedwithcontentstrategy.com. And I also would like to invite you to join our cohort. We're extending the free membership for another few months. So when you go to Succeed with Content Strategy on Facebook, look for the groups page and request to join. In there, we have marketers, writers, social media strategists, WordPress gurus who are having conversations about what's trending, what's frustrating, asking questions, giving ideas, and talking about their successes. So I invite you to continue the conversation through our social media channels and be a part of the team. So we're all here to learn from each other and make content strategy the key to our success. Thanks for listening. So there you have it. A huge thank you to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing the Succeed with Content Strategy podcast. Please subscribe so you can hear more interviews from people who are succeeding with content strategy. 